by the time my little little one, littlest one, I have two sons, by the time David, my younger one, was about six months old, my older one began to get, you know, began to show aggression towards him. And when he would attack his baby brother, I would I would do things that my father would have done. I mean, I found myself one day grabbing his arm, grabbing the older one's arm and wanting to throw him up against the wall. And I almost did. And I thought, whoa, man, I, I don't know what to do. And I kept having these violent impulses that I, I mean, I didn't spank them, but oh, did I want to. And, and I just didn't know what to do with myself. And as best I can remember, I didn't even tell my husband that I was having this problem. It's like, it was so shameful and bothered me so much. And I kept trying every day. I would try to wake up with the intention of being kind and loving all day long. And every day I would fail and it just kind of got worse and worse. And I was more and more impulsive and less and less in control. I set out in this podcast to find out all that has been passed down to us, all that we have inherited, and nothing addresses that topic more than what we learn from our parents. In this next series, we will hear from Patty Whitfler, the founder and creator of Hand in Hand Parenting, whose curriculum has made its way all over the world. Patty's methods have been taught in over 24 countries. Her book has been translated into at least 14 languages and reaches over 3 million people a year. And although I started out wanting to learn more about parenting and the connections we make with our children, what I learned from Patty goes far beyond that. Because Patty's work isn't just about how we raise healthy children, but just as importantly about how our own emotional trauma can be passed down. Because generational trauma has been passed down to us. And that by facing our own fears, we can hopefully break that cycle. These interviews were surprisingly emotional for me. And I want to first and foremost thank Patty in advance for her courage and the vulnerability that she showed in sharing these stories. Listening to your children instead of spanking them may not seem like a revolutionary idea in 2021. In fact, I believe that every generation sets out to be more attentive and more loving to their kids than the generation before. But before we begin, I just want to remind you all that corporal punishment is still legal in 19 states in the U.S., and in fact, just five days ago on May 4th, the Louisiana House of Representatives voted to keep corporal punishment legal, giving teachers the option of hitting or paddling your child at school if they misbehave. I am not yet a parent, and this series is not meant to shame anyone. In fact, after everything that I've learned, for all those parents out there listening, I just want to say, way to go. What we will discuss is how parents' decisions become our decisions and how our decisions become our children's decisions, how punishment today becomes more punishment tomorrow, and how the work that we do on ourselves often shows the best results for our children. These are not meant to be thorough histories, and I am not even close to being an expert on any of these topics, just a confused and interested millennial looking to the past to find some answers for the future. This is The Inheritance Project. A woman there on a little walk through the woods when my husband was with the kids, 
she just said, Hey, what's it like to be a mom? And I just turned to her and I burst into tears and I sobbed uncontrollably for about 15 minutes. I just, and I remember telling her, I feel like my father is taking over my mind. I feel like I, I am wanting to do things that I vowed I would never do. And I'm being harsh in a way that I vowed I would never be. And, and I don't know what's happening, but it cannot keep happening. And I don't know what to do. And I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed at the idea of being inhabited by my father's violence. And um, after about 15 minutes, I kind of pulled myself together and I just went, man, I don't know why I did that. But because I, I was not a crier, I probably cried maybe once every five or seven years in my life, if that. And um, And she just said, thank you so much. You know, I really learned a lot and I really respect you. And that was that. It's like, I was so surprised. She, you know, she had said almost nothing, but she just kept paying attention. And, and I went back to my kids that afternoon and I felt like I was 30 pounds lighter. I, I had enthusiasm. I had hope. I had patience, you know, the, the little tiffs that, you know, my older one would start with the baby, you know, didn't bother me anymore. It's like, it was just like, wow. So I went back to her the next day and I said, what, what did you do? <laughs> Whatever that is, it's something I need. <laughs> and she said she'd learned to listen through a, through a group, a peer counseling group. And she taught, you know, people how to listen. And that it was really good for people. It's good for a human being to laugh, to cry, to release, you know, emotional tension that we're built to release emotional tension. We just get taught not to. And that's what had happened is that I had released all the tension I'd been carrying or not all of it, but a chunk of it. And, and, People function better and think better when they're able to do that on a regular basis. And I said, tell me where I can learn more. Patty's work is based on the belief that we are born with a system to process emotions. Just like we are born with a digestive system that breaks down and digests food, so too does our body come ready to digest fear, joy, and sadness. But over time, this system breaks down because it is taught out of us, leaving these systems out of whack. To understand this more, we have to look a little bit at the way our brains are wired. In her book, Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges, Patty writes about the science of feelings and connection, and the three parts of our brain that allows us to process, learn, and feel. The brainstem extends from the top of your spine upward to the middle of your brain. This is what some scientists refer to as our lizard brain because it was the very first system to evolve. Managing our well-being, it controls our involuntary life-sustaining functions, such as heartbeat, breathing, swallowing, as well as our fight-or-flight instinct. Our survival is entirely reliant upon it, but it does not participate in any way in thinking. Our limbic system is the second system to develop, and it is all about social relationships, about reading the room. Am I loved by others? Can I trust you? Am I wanted? Do I belong? 
And as she writes, it is our emotional radar constantly getting feedback from our senses and processing data about our safety, sending this data back to our brainstem in order to know what is safe. The third system is our prefrontal cortex. This is where we think, learn, reason, and was the last to evolve. This is where we are able to think through things clearly and concisely. But when we get scared or when our limbic system sends back messages that we are in danger, the connection is broken. In an instant, our prefrontal cortex goes offline, making it harder to reason our way out of a situation. And only through expelling and working through the fear and trauma going on in our more ancient survival systems can we get back to a relaxed and focused state of being. So I got into a class where they taught people how to listen, and I got paired up with the the glummest, most remote-looking person in the class who was a, a dad, and he asked me, he asked me, would I, you know, be you know, do listening with him. That was what you're supposed to do is you listen to somebody else for an hour and then they listen to you and you do that once a week. And that's how you learn how to listen. He, his, his wife had just like four days before this first class had just left him and told him she was never coming back. And he had a six month old down syndrome daughter with down syndrome. And and he was an engineer. He'd never been around babies before. He, had, he was really paralyzed in fear being in this situation. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what, who to talk to. He didn't know how he was going to get childcare for his daughter. What, she, what did she need? Anyway, he, he was not in a, I mean, he, he was gray. He was literally gray. And, um, but I, he asked me and I couldn't say no. So we did our first listening time. And one of the things they told you is that, you know, it's good. You, you don't, you don't have to worry about things. It's like, if you really listen to one another, it gets, it gets safer in some way that you might not feel, but it will get safer and more tension will release. And if you're releasing fear, you're going to see trembling and perspiring. And if they're releasing grief, you're going to see tears. If you're releasing, um, you know, embarrassment or lighter tension, you're going to see laughter. And if those things are happening, then just keep doing what you're doing. And he began to shake like I have rarely seen anybody shake. He was just trembling like his whole body was rocking and his teeth were rattling. And he wasn't saying very much, but he spent an hour in intense, intense release of fear. And, and I just was like, oh. <laughs> and I just kept paying attention. I mean, I did know how to pay attention to somebody. I did know how to pay attention to a child who was giving me no signals back that they were, they were even home, you know. I, I did know how to do that. I somehow had, I'd played with my brothers and sisters all my childhood. They were like the fun people in our family. So I loved playing with them. I wanted to be a teacher. I knew how to pay warm attention to people somehow. And so I just kept paying attention and thinking, well, I've never seen this, but it must be going well. <laughs> and then he turned around and listened to me and I told you know, my story, a lot of it, I just told you it, and it, it was liberating. It's like, I, I, within three weeks, 
I think after the third hour each way, you know, listening time that we did, my children were sleeping through the night and they had never, neither one of them had ever slept through the night. And I hadn't done anything different, but I was becoming more relaxed. And so they were becoming more relaxed. And I just thought, oh, this is really, I don't know, this is like magic. It really got me very interested in the listening process. And my listening partner, um, he and I did weekly, hour each way listening times for, I think, about 12 years. This short listening time each week started to have profound effects for both of them in every aspect of their lives. She saw that she had more patience again. That when there were incidents that before had caused her to blow up at her children, now she was able to deal with them in clear and patient ways. And after finding a sense of relief in herself through this work with other adults, she wondered if this technique might also work between herself and her children. There are a bunch of parents who were in these classes that, you know, like what I was taking, who also were going, hey, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff to work on from our early childhoods. And it's the reason why we go nuts, you know, as adults, um, especially with our children. How do we keep our children from carrying this burden into their adulthood? You know, how do we keep from hurting them? And how do we keep them? How do we help them recover from hurt the way we were recovering from the hurts that we had endured so many years ago? And, Nobody knew. We got the idea. We were sort of supported by people who taught listening to think about getting together and doing a little school where we could experiment with listening to our children and figure it out. And we kept trying to find a director that would be open to the idea that listening to children cry was probably a good thing, not a bad thing. And, um, there were not that many directors who were enthralled with this idea. <laughs> we couldn't find it. <laughs> and we, we tried actually getting a bunch of us to go to a preschool of a friend of ours who was sort of open to the idea and trying to, you know, do our experiments there. But she couldn't come all the way on board with this theory that listening to children cry would was um, healing rather than... Um, torture for them. And so we, we tried everything we could think of except leading our own school. And in the end, uh, my good friend Sarah Smith and I wound up being the co-directors of a little school. I got licensed to be a um, daycare home provider so we could legally have people over and parents could legally leave their children with me in this school. We did, we did it in my house in East Palo Alto. And um, it was just a little experiment, seven families, um, seven kids. It's important to note here that Patty's technique is different than another parenting technique called CIO, or cry it out, which is often used in sleep training to encourage an infant to cry until it learns how to soothe itself. Patty's method is all about going through those emotions together and supporting your child as they naturally release and process their own emotion. Yeah, and we learned a ton. We learned a ton from all of that. Can I ask one uh, follow-up on that? Um, some of those early challenges, you know, I, I'm not a parent myself, but 
you know, one of one of my friends was doing some kind of figuring out how to have his daughter sleep in her own room, and he just told me he like that the crying, like they would take turns being with her, or she cried, and he would have to leave the house. I mean, that it, I think we're like yeah. programmed to that that sound of your child crying is is like such an intense reaction mm-hmm. for you. Did you find that like getting people to think that that was an okay experience? Um, Because it's not only obviously painful for the child, but it must be painful for the parent. Well, what what it does is if if feelings are suppressed, if you never get to be angry, if you never get to stand up for yourself, if you never get to cry your head off with someone's support as a child, then then all of that all of those feelings that have never gotten healed in this way are still in your emotional memory. And when you hear the sound of a child cry, uh-huh. up, come, up comes fear because you've never seen that supported and, and your parents acted like, you know, that simply cannot be done. You cannot cry. You cannot, you know, continue this uh, so that you don't know what's on the other side of cannot. And it, whatever it is, it must be very scary. Um, so basically the ways in which we've been conditioned to respond to crying by watching our parents respond to our crying, um, install their, their own kind of hurt. And when a child cries, up comes a giant wad of feelings of fear, feelings of anger, feelings of, I don't deserve to be treated this way. You know, it's this resentment panic. Um, God knows what comes up, but whatever it is, it comes really feels like it's intolerable, but there are incidents back there, things you were told, punishments you suffered, punishments your siblings suffered, you that you witnessed, all of that imprinted hurt in your emotional memory that has not been healed. And it comes up in such a wad that it is intolerable and you have to you know, and because you still can't cry, um, you know, you have to either react in anger and violence or, you know, or leave. And those are pretty stark choices. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it's really, yeah. it's really old, old unhealed hurt that gets triggered. And what we know is that with young people who have been brought up um, with support for their feelings, including crying and trembling and screaming and writhing in fear, they tend to be able to welcome crying uh, more readily. It's still not easy. It's like when you love somebody with the intensity that you love your child, any hint of the fact that they might be hurting creates enormous feelings of, you know, wanting to rescue, wanting to save, wanting to stop the hurt. And our cultures mix up crying with the hurt itself. And actually when a child is crying, the hurt went in, you know, maybe way earlier in their life and they're just, you know, and just got triggered by some small thing or it just went in a minute ago, but it's already in there. And now the healing process has started. Children are really good at healing from emotional hurt. They instinctively know how to do it. They instinctively start it up. And then we spend years and years trying to train them not to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But if, if they were not trained that way, if they were allowed to cry, 
um, they're really pretty able to pay attention. And even even older siblings of babies um, who have been allowed, have been supported through their emotional moments, um, they sort of sit down and and um, and listen and pay attention. And you know, she's really crying, Mom. I wonder what she's crying about. You know, a three-year-old might say that. It's like it doesn't necessarily even disturb a child if they have been allowed the latitude to go through their own feelings crises with someone caring about them and understanding that this is, it's an emotional poop. It's a totally inborn national process. It's meant to be. And, um, and that the person is recovering, not suffering further. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's so funny. I was reading, I was reading your book and I was getting through that middle section about, um, you know, the broken cookie and the spoiled outing and, I got to, what was it? It was the, uh, oh man, I just wrote it down. It was about um, low levels of, of fear and anxiety racing through you at all times and going from uh, from one activity to another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's me for the last year and a half. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this isn't children. That's, I'm that's 35 right. years old. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's ongoing. Yeah. In part three of this series, we will take a deep look into the growth and creation of Hand in Hand Parenting's curriculum. But to fully understand Patty's story, I think it is important to look back at what brought her to this work. And in the next episode, we will look at how generational trauma is passed on and what we can do to break free of it. I hope you join us. I'd like to thank Patty Whipfler for speaking with me for this series, and special thanks to Laurel Neer and Mackenzie Bell for their help on this episode. To learn more about Hand in Hand Parenting, please visit handinhandparenting.org or pick up Listen by Patty Whipfler and Tosha Shore. See you next time.